uh, turn in your Bibles to the Gospel according to John. Um, Aubrey and Aiden did a, a great job reading our scripture lesson, and John looks good. And the, 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 the account, the narrative that was in John chapter 20 comes, of course, after the detailed uh, account of the death of Christ. The, the Good Friday, that Good Friday when our Lord Jesus Christ, who was beaten and whipped and a crown of thorns placed on his head, was led away to a hill called Calvary. He was nailed to a, a wooden cross beam, then hoisted up and attached to a horizontal beam and crucified. And Jesus, our good God, spent several hours hanging between two thieves from approximately noon to three o'clock. The entire land becomes dark. For three hours, the land becomes dark as the Father pours out the full measure of his wrath against sin. And the recipient is Jesus, the eternal Son of God. It was the very cup that Jesus said he would drink while praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And after shouting out, it is finished... The work of forgiveness, the atonement of sins was completed. He gave up his spirit and dies. Professional killers are there at the scene. As the sun was going down, see that Jesus was already dead. They didn't, they didn't break his legs that hasten death. They, they pierced his side, chest cavity, and the eyewitness said, out came blood and water. Then Joseph of Arimathea, as we read the story, asked Pilate for Jesus' body. Pilate turns to the centurion, the one who's in charge whose job it is to know whether or not the, the, the so-called criminal has been, is dead, has been crucified. He says yes, so Pilate says to Joseph, take the body. The scripture tells us that Nicodemus joined Joseph and two other women, Mary Magdalene, and other women, I should say, prepared Jesus' body for a, a Jewish burial. It was before the Sabbath at sundown. They had to get him down off the cross and buried they took the body and, the, and bound it in linen. The Bible says that they had 75 pounds of spices, myrrh, and alloys, and laid them in a, in a new tomb, Joseph's tomb, cut out of the rock. Then a stone was rolled across the entrance of the tomb, and some Roman guards were placed in front of the tomb. Jesus is dead. Jesus is buried before sundown Friday night. Yet the Bible tells us and declares to us that the grave could not hold him down. Three days later, the stone is rolled away. Jesus is resurrected from the grave. And after seeing, being, being seen by many eyewitnesses of his glorious event, he ascends to the Father until his future return. And for followers of Jesus Christ, the resurrection changes everything for us. It changes life. It changes death. It changes eternity. It confirms, it strengthens our faith as joy fills our hearts. Jesus is not to us some, some gifted, morally good teacher, some communicator. He's the, the risen Lord of the universe. He is alive and reigning and ruling over the world even as we speak. But maybe you're here this morning and you're a little skeptical. You came because they said, look, come to church with me and then you can come and have dinner at my house. Got a good meal for you. Or maybe here because someone's getting baptized, and that's great. But I want to challenge you this morning. I, I want to challenge you to be honest about the resurrection. I want to look at it sincerely and see how the resurrection speaks to us this morning, and in particular, how it speaks to the mind, the heart, and the will. 
John chapter 20. The mind, the heart, and the will. Now, the scripture opens up in chapter 20, Mary Magdalene arriving at the tomb very early Sunday morning. The sun is just barely coming up. She sees the stone has been rolled away, that which was sealed by the Roman government. The other gospel account tells us that on that first Easter morning, a number of women had gone to the tomb early that morning. Matthew mentions it was Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. Mark mentions that the, these two Marys and Salome was there. Luke says that these two Marys were there and Joanna. John, in his gospel, only mentions Mary Magdalene. And I think the reason is, is because we will see that she is the very first woman to see the risen Christ. She's the first one. If you remember, Mary Magdalene uh, was a woman in Luke's account and other women that says that they, these ladies, were following Jesus and his disciples, and it says that they provided for them. These ladies provided for them, Jesus and his apostles, out of their own means. So these ladies had gathered around the apostles and walked with the apostles and ministered to these apostles and the other disciples during their earthly ministry. No doubt, I'm sure they were caring for them and cooking for them. After a while, they got tired of eating, you know, um, you know, boxed macaroni and cheese all day, every day. And these ladies would come and they would serve these guys. In fact, all four gospel accounts, which you'll see is that these women were, and Mary Magdalene in particular, were the very first eyewitnesses of the resurrection of Jesus. Now, that may not be that important to you this morning or relevant, but it was in the ancient world. In the time of this writing, women were marginalized. No one ever believed their testimony. There was a Greek philosopher who was uh, against Christianity, against Christ, spoke about, badly about the resurrection and the testimony. And this is what he said. Now, this is not what I believe. This is not what we hold here at King's Chapel, right? So don't take me out back. Don't send me any hate mail. I'm just telling you what a Greek philosopher said in the second century, okay? How could anyone expect a rational male to listen to the testimony of a historical female, end quote? I don't believe that. They weren't allowed to testify in court. They were seen as inferior and unreliable. Mary Magdalene, as we know from Scripture, was the, one of the ladies that had, she had seven demons cast out of her. Je Jesus sees her and casts seven demons out of her. Now, we don't know how those demons got there. It's not by not washing your hands well. So she had a reputation. And Jesus not only saves her, but delivers these demons from her. Now, Think for a minute. Think. Use your mind. Think. If John or anyone else in the first century, John or anyone else in the first century were making up this story, they would never put women as their eyewitnesses in the first century. Never. No one in their right mind would, would want to make uh, uh, women uh, the, the eyewitnesses and try to get this movement that's going to take off. They're going to put them as the first eyewitnesses. The only reason Mary Magdalene would be in the first century put as the first eyewitnesses, and it's a very strong reason, is that she truly is giving witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, Luke tells us that when the other women first told the disciples that the tomb was empty, it says that the words these ladies spoke to the apostles, these words seemed to them an idle tale. That's where we get the word delirium. They were out of their minds. And we see in verses 3 and 4, after hearing from Mary that the tomb was empty, Peter and John 
run out. He's the one that Jesus loved, that, that speaks about it in this text. Peter and John run out to see it for themselves. Peter is older. Peter loves his raviolis, gets there a little bit later than the young John. John gets there first. But John's, you know what, he's, he may be faster, but he, he's not bolder, so he stays outside the tomb. And verse 5, it says that John looked in. He saw linen clothes lying there, but he didn't go in. The Simon Peter, though, came following him, went into the tomb. You know, Peter's the first guy in, right? He's like, I'll die for you. And impetuous Peter goes right in. He saw the linen clothes lying there, verse 7, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, it was separate, but folded up in a place by itself. The miracle of the resurrection and a single man folded his clothes. Verse 8. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and he believed. And yet, verse 9, they did not understand the scriptures that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their home. So Peter goes to the tomb, and he saw as he looked in. That word saw is an interesting word. That word saw in the original language is where we get our word theorize. It means to observe evidence intently, looking and observing for an explanation, a scientific word, a reason. The apostles are looking into this tomb and they, they see the grave clothes and they begin feverishly reasoning, what, what is this about? What's, what's going on? Maybe they were thinking that maybe some followers had come before them and, and got past the guards and maybe some followers took his body. But family, think for a minute. The disciples had nothing to gain but everything to lose by stealing the body of Jesus. Tradition tells us that out of the 12 apostles, most of you know, the leaders of the church, all but one, died a torturous death, a brutal death. They were executed for their faith, and in particular, for declaring the resurrection of Jesus. Think. People have died and gave their lives for something they thought was true, Right? Believed was true, but was not. Right? There are were, there were people that have drinking the Kool-Aid in the past. We know that. But no one goes through a suffering, torturous death for something they know to be a lie. We just made this up. We stole the body. Nobody does that. We know that the Jewish leaders didn't come in and take the body because if they had, the best thing they would have done, we know, is parade the dead body on the fourth day. Hey, you're Messiah. He said he's going to be raised on the third day. Here he is in Jerusalem on the fourth day. He's still dead. Maybe Peter and Jane were looking in intently reasoning, thinking maybe grave robbers. They used to take, in those days, there would be grave robbers. They would go in and steal uh, jewelry and stuff that was off, the, that would, you know, put jewelry on the body when they buried it. And they would steal the, you know, jewelry and the things for, you know, for gain. But, but why would a grave robber fold clothes before stealing a body? And a face cloth was folded up. I mean, who robs a house and does the laundry while they're there? I don't know. You know, we have a tidy burglar. Believing the resurrection of Jesus Christ does not mean we commit intellectual suicide. Look at the evidence. Even the slight differences without contradiction in each one of the gospel accounts, there's four of them, demonstrates its truth and its authenticity. If they were exactly the same, that would bring red flags. It would be construed as a false repetition of some concocted story. Think. The tomb is empty. There's evidence of the tomb. Look at the heart. Verse 11. 
So after running and telling Peter and John that the tomb was empty, Mary's back at the tomb. What's she doing? She's weeping. And now she looks into the tomb. What she sees? She, see, she sees two angels sitting where the body of Jesus was laid. And they ask her, why are you weeping? She tells them in 13 that they have taken away the Lord. Somebody got him. They've taken him. I don't know where they laid him. And her response is telling, isn't it? She's thinking, you know what, that the dead body of Jesus was taken. She wasn't obviously thinking about a resurrection at the time. It didn't enter her mind. Verse 14, she turned around and seized Jesus, but she did not know that it was him. Now, now remember, Mary Magdalene is one of the women that was at the crucifixion on Friday. She was there. Okay? She watched the brutal death of the one she loved, the one who set her free from seven demons, Okay? She's hurting. She is deeply grieving. She is weeping. Verse 15, Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And then he adds, why are you, whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener. The gardener would be there taking care of the, where the tomb was in this garden. Maybe she didn't recognize Jesus because of this deep grief and, and weeping and crying over the missing body. Maybe like the two men walking in the road to Emmaus after the resurrection didn't, didn't recognize Jesus. He hid himself from them until they broke bread. We don't know. But Leon Morris, a New Testament scholar, captures this scene, the beauty of the scene. He writes this. There is something very moving about this first meeting of the risen Lord. There is moreover a wonderful condescension involved. For we have no reason for thinking of Mary as being a particularly important person. Yet, it was to her and not to any of the outstanding leaders of the apostolic band that the Lord first appeared. He says, this story is told simply and with conviction, end quote. Mary's filled with compassion. She's hurting. She's grieving toward Jesus, where they put him. And yet, look at the beauty of Jesus Christ going after her, going after her heart. You know, good counselors will tell you it's vitally important to ask the right questions to reveal truth to the one that you're speaking to. And in love and gentleness, Jesus reveals himself to her. Look at verse 15b. She, Jesus, said to him, no, she said to Jesus, Sir, if you carried him away, tell me where you laid him. I will take him. Verse 16, Jesus says to her, Mary, not woman, not lady, not Miss Magdalene, Mary, She's looking for a corpse, she encounters a person. She's looking for a dead body, he's alive. And Jesus comes to her and speaks her name. Jesus Christ is here this morning coming to you through this text. That's how the gospel works. We're all seeking, we're all looking in, in the wrong places. And it's only when Jesus shows up and reveals his grace, reveals his love, reveals his beauty and glory to our hearts can we be Found. When Jesus called her name Mary, she shouts, Robani, teacher, master. She recognizes him when she hears her name from his lips. John 10, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. In that moment, Mary herself experienced her own resurrection. Her faith was dead, but now it's alive and it is soaring. Hope had vanished but now it leaps for joy. Dr. Tim Keller, a pastor in New York City, 
said this about Mary, uh, Jesus calling Mary's name. He said this, if you want to know who you are, know me, Jesus speaking. If you want to know who you are, know me. I know who you are. I made you. You're unique. The way you're going to find yourself and the way you're going to find your mission in life is not by trying to find yourself or trying to find your mission in life, but by finding me. If you find me, you'll find yourself. When you grab me, when you get hold of me, I'll tell you your name. End quote. Speaking about Jesus speaking to Mary. You see, our culture tells us what we need to do is we need to look deep within ourselves. Deep within ourselves. And we decide who we are. Seeking, seeking for an identity. You're then encouraged to declare who you are no matter what anyone thinks or says. And here's the problem. Whatever you're searching for, to give you the value and significance, sense of personal worth, will never stand the test of time because we know of the flaws. We know of the brokenness. We know of the imperfections. And because we do, that will never satisfy the longing of our hearts to be unconditionally loved, no matter what's on the inside, no matter what people see, and completely accepted that we matter. But if we have that, we can be secure in our identity and who we are. And here's the thing. If, if, if you look, and I look, if we look outside of God for life-sustaining stability, security, love, and acceptance, your personhood, what we're doing, and we're doing it on our own, we're looking into a deep, dark tomb. And Jesus says, you know what? Know me. Be united to me. Be united to the risen Lord and know my love. Know my grace. And you will know yourself. Let your heart settle on me. Find in my love the deepest secrets of who you are by seeing, savoring, and resting in the finished work of the cross and the resurrection from the grave. My complete acceptance of you, not for what you have done, but what I have done in your place and for you. The work of Christ. The mind, the heart, and now the will. Look at verse 17. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me. For I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am, send, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. <laughs> yes, Christ needs to come and speak our name and reveal himself, but we do need to respond. Jesus shows himself to Mary and she clings to him. Literally, that word means to grab or to hold on to, not wanting to let him go. And I don't think she fully understands the resurrection completely at this point. But she does respond by not wanting, listen, to, to lose him again. He's alive, and she clings to him. And Jesus says, you know what? Don't hold on to me. I have not yet ascended to the Father. Jesus has been saying this throughout the Gospel of John. He's going to die, rise again. He said he's going to go back to the Father, back to the glory he had from, from the, you know, before the world began in all eternity. And when that takes place, Jesus said, after my ascension, he said that him and the Father will what? He'll send the Holy Spirit. He's not going to leave you as orphans. I will send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will make Jesus real to you. He will come into you, the Bible says. He will, he will be with you forever. He will lead you into all truth. He will make his glory, the glory of Jesus, known to you. You see, Mary wanted to cling to Jesus and not let him go, not really fully understanding that having his physical presence may be good, but having his indwelling presence through the power of the Holy Spirit is so much better. It's so much better. 
And when we respond in faith to the gospel, cling to and trust and place our faith in Jesus and receive the Holy Spirit, look at the change of relationship. Jesus doesn't say, I'm returning to our Father, our God. He says, I'm returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. Jesus is saying, on the cross, when I died on that Good Friday, as I died as a substitute, and now my glorious resurrection from the grave, God becomes your God and your Father. At that moment of faith, we are what? Adopted into the family of God. Every child of God through the gospel comes by way of adoption. We are not naturally born into God's family. The Bible says that we have been alienated because of our sin from God. We are an inheritors of sin, death. But God in his love and his grace and by the death and resurrection of Jesus by faith that the application of that gospel by the Holy Spirit to our souls brings us back into a relationship with God and that grants us family privileges. It is only through the gospel that we are adopted, that we can approach God as Father. Romans 8, you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship and daughtership, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Could anything be more beautiful, glorious, and overwhelming than a new relation where we could cry out, Abba, Papa, Father. Some of you, I know, that, that may be a little bit disturbing. Maybe in a relationship, you grew up with your dad, okay? But our God, our Father in heaven is perfect. He is completely loving, all compassionate, sovereign, and does not make mistakes, does not abandon. He loves us perfectly. Listen, be honest about the resurrection this morning. Look at it sincerely. The resurrection speaks to the mind. Look, look, this tomb is empty. He has risen from the grave. The resurrection speaks to the heart. See the beauty and the grace and the love and the compassion of God calling your name. The resurrection speaks to the will. God calling us to respond, be adopted into his family through the work of Jesus, dying on the cross, is rising from the dead three days later. Verse 18 to close. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. So the question for you this morning is, have you seen the Lord? H have you seen the Lord? In, in a few, minutes, few moments, um, we're going to have baptisms. Baptism is a picture of the gospel, how Jesus lived that perfect life that we could never live and then was, was brought and led to Calvary where he was crucified and died for our sins. Then he went into the tomb. He went into the tomb, and just like those being baptized will come up out of the water, Jesus himself rose from the dead. Family, listen, the resurrection is our guarantee that the death of Jesus was accepted. Payment for sins accepted. The atonement for sins received. God is holy. God is holy. We are not. And God, because he is holy, cannot and will not compromise himself. His holiness to accommodate our sin. But neither is he a harsh God who withholds his love in order to crush and destroy us. God is love. God is holy. And on the cross and in the empty tomb, God satisfies the requirements of his holiness and justice by punishing sin and then extending love and grace and forgiveness to those who believe on Jesus. That's the gospel. 
That's the gospel. God's justice satisfied. His holiness vindicated. Forgiveness is offered. Jesus, our substitute, bears the penalty so that we sinners can receive pardon. That's the gospel. Have you seen the Lord? Have you seen the Lord? Think the tomb is empty. Open your heart. See the love and the beauty of God's grace. Make a decision. Yield to Jesus. Give your life to Jesus. Turn from your sins and turn to God. Receive his forgiveness this Easter morning. Have you seen the Lord? Have you seen the Lord? He speaks to the mind. Speaks to the heart. And he speaks to the will. There's our hope and, and, and the hope of the gospel that you leave here today. With, you don't leave here today without accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Turning from your sins and trusting him. Pastors are here. We'd love to talk to you more about the gospel. The tomb is empty. The band comes up, I'll pray, and then we'll get ready for baptisms. Father, thank you for this testimony given to us. God, thank you that the grave could not hold the Savior. God, thank you that he has risen from the grave, the receipt written across eternity, sacrifice accepted, sins payments accepted, satisfying your justice and holiness, and now love and mercy and kindness can be extended to us. Because of Jesus' perfect life, glorious death and resurrection. Father, now even in the quietness of our souls, Lord, speak to our hearts. Show us Jesus who lived a life we could never live, died an atoning death in our place, and rose from the dead. And if you're here this morning, your eyes closed, and you want to receive Christ... Just ask him to come and forgive you. Turn and walk with him in your own words. He knows. Father, as we will just rejoice in these baptisms that are coming up, God, we pray that not only have we heard the gospel, we see the gospel, that you would press in the truths of the gospel. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' good name. Amen and amen.